All right. Good morning, Sweetwater family. And uh, good morning, everyone watching uh, with us on the live stream. We're glad that you could join along with us in worship this morning. I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here. And I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Let's take a moment and let's ask the Lord to give us receptive hearts uh, and eyes that see him this morning. God, we ask that you would give us hearts uh, that receive you, give us eyes that see, give us ears that hear what you are telling us this morning. I pray that everything that comes from me or that I made up would fall to the ground or on deaf ears, and everything that you have to say to us this morning would be received with gladness and joyful hearts this morning. I pray that our worship is a pleasing aroma to you and help us to love you more today than we ever have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, amen. Okay, here we are. We have come to the end of Luke's crescendo, the end of the last of the four major events that conclude the book of Luke. Uh, we've been in Luke for a long time, uh, 21 weeks now, and uh, I'm sure we're going to miss our friend Luke, and I promise he'll visit from time to time. In fact, I'm pretty sure he might visit next week during Advent, so uh, we're not giving him up. He's just going away for a little bit. Uh, but for now, we are wrapping up the Gospel of Luke, and Luke ends his Gospel with Jesus going away. Uh We left off last week with Jesus accomplishing the greatest act in all of history. Uh, He is crucified on the cross and and he spends his time defeating death and defeating the powers of darkness. And then he brings humanity up out of the grave with him uh, and he takes the keys of death and Hades with him and he resurrects from the dead. He reverses death and the kingdom of God that is founded on the forgiveness of sins is now up and running and it's our job to tell everybody that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. That's where we left off. And uh, this week we're going to see Jesus ascend into heaven. Uh, What does that mean? It means that Jesus is literally going to go up into the sky and go away. That's what it means. That's how Luke ends his gospel. He's going to be in heaven to be at the right hand of the Father where he can reign and rule as king. It's a short little story in Luke, which is a little surprising considering this is the end of his crescendo. This is the end of his gospel. It's only three sentences long, uh, although he does elaborate a little more in Acts chapter 1. Remember, Luke writes the book of Acts as well. So the whole ascension story is only three sentences long, and then the gospel simply ends And Jesus goes up into heaven. And in many ways, it seems like Jesus is leaving us behind. Or he's dipping out. Or he's saying, bye, I'll see you soon. I don't know when that is. And nobody knows when that is. But I'm leaving now. So uh, his presence is gone now. So what do we do? But the story doesn't end with the disciples feeling like they got left behind. Uh, Luke ends his story with the disciples experiencing great joy and worshiping together. And we need to know why they feel this way. 
So we'll read the three sentences of the Ascension story, but we first need to know why the disciples feel joy when Jesus leaves them for a second time, when he ascends into heaven. So we'll be in Luke 24, 13 through 35 today. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bible's in front of you or under you. If you need a Bible, you can take that one home. And if you want to learn how to use a Bible, you can email me and we'll set up a time together. It's Luke 24, 13 through 35. It's a long text, but it's a really good text. In fact, uh, this is my favorite passage in the Bible. I'm an Enneagram 9, and so picking favorites is very hard for me. I don't pick favorites. I don't have a favorite song. I don't have a favorite movie. I have a top five list. But this is my favorite uh, uh, passage of Scripture. It's a special story. This story, what we call the road to Emmaus, shows us exactly why the disciples don't feel left behind when Jesus ascends into heaven. This story shows us that we, or, or sorry, that the presence of Jesus is still accessible to them, and not just for them, but for us too. So for context, Jesus just raised from the dead, and this is the very first thing he does as, as a raised man, okay? He, he finds a couple of obscure followers of his on a road about seven miles north of Jerusalem. This is the first thing he does as the raised king of the world. So I'll read from the NRSV this morning, uh, Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now on that same day, talking about the resurrection, on that same day, uh, two of them, the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? And he asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have taken place. And moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive now. And some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and found it as the women said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urgently uh, urged him and strongly said, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. And so he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, 
he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? In that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So, uh, the women show up to the tomb three days after Jesus' death, and the angels tell them what we heard last week, which is, he is not here, but has risen. No one knew where Jesus was at the time. Uh, They were just told that he's not here anymore. His whereabouts aren't made known to anybody. They're a mystery to everyone who heard that he just wasn't in the tomb anymore. But our text today shows us that the first thing Jesus does after performing the greatest act of salvation is he goes for a walk by himself. (laughs) And he goes up this road that leads to a city called Emmaus. And he, he isn't wandering aimlessly, though. He's actually expecting to meet two people. Uh, A couple of his disciples, actually, Cleopas and Simon. We aren't sure who Simon is. Uh, It may be Simon the Zealot, which is one of the original 12 uh, disciples of Jesus, but he isn't all that prominent aside from being an original follower of Jesus. Cleopas is not part of the 12 original disciples. He's probably part of the 70 or 72 that we talked uh, a couple months ago about. He's probably a disciple of Simon, who's a disciple of Jesus. And they're on their way to Emmaus because that's probably where they live. The Jesus movement seems to be over. It seems to be done. Uh, Where else is there to go? What else is there to do now? Jesus is gone. Passover is over. We didn't take over Jerusalem and kick out the Romans like we thought we were going to. It's time to go home now. Time to go back to normal life before before life was like before Jesus, before they met him. They had a good run. And this is a weird, or there is a weird little story that they hear floating around how Jesus might not be in the tomb anymore, but, but they don't really know what to make of it, so they're going home. Uh, and then they bump into a stranger. They don't know it's Jesus, but it is. Maybe he looks different, uh, maybe he seems different, or maybe they're just supernaturally not able to recognize him in some kind of way. Uh, They don't know that it's Jesus, but we know that it is. They walk into this stranger, and then they have a Bible study on the road to Emmaus. And after all that time spent, a whole evening of talking about Moses and the prophets, basically 85% of the Old Testament, they still can't recognize that Jesus is the one walking and talking with them. Even as they settle in for the night, they still don't know. Because Jesus has not been revealed to them. 
Now, it seems pretty odd that these two could have spent the last three years with Jesus and not recognize him as he's walking and talking with them. I mean, I've only been here a few months, and if one of you walked up to me in the supermarket and started walking and talking with me, I would probably recognize you, you know, and I would hope you would recognize me, right? Uh, so I'm pretty confident in that, actually. And, and these two spent nearly every day with Jesus for three years. So we know something else has to be going on, right? Because once they sat down at a table and Jesus starts to break bread, then suddenly he is able to be recognized as Jesus. Just a few days earlier, uh, back when they were celebrating the Passover, actually on the previous Thursday night, uh, Cleopas and Simon were sitting around another table with Jesus. It was the night that Jesus would be betrayed by Judas and handed over to the Romans. And on that night, a few days ago, they all gathered around a table and Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he distributed it to his disciples. It's almost like on this road to Emmaus experience, Jesus is trying to recreate that scene for them from just a few days ago. He's drawing their attention to this act of blessing, breaking, and distributing bread. And just as a cool side note, there's also some striking similarity in the language used here uh, that Luke uses earlier in his book in chapter 9 when, he feeds, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. In that story, Jesus has the crowds sit and then he takes bread and fish and he blesses it and he breaks it and he distributes it. Same words are being used. Sit, bless, break, distribute. This just seems like this is the way Jesus likes to eat. Sit, bless, break, distribute. Cleopas and Simon must have gone through those motions hundreds of times with Jesus. Sit, bless, break, distribute over and over and over again. And so it's no wonder that when Jesus sits with them at a table this time and goes through those same motions, they begin to recognize Jesus as Jesus, even though they had been with him for the last three years. In the breaking of the bread, Jesus is revealed to them finally. There are times in our relationship with Jesus when we don't seem to recognize Jesus anymore. What do I mean by that? I mean when we grow older, when we grow more spiritually mature, or as we gain new life experiences, or we grapple with different questions about how the world and God works uh, together. Uh, we sometimes go through times when, Je- when the Jesus we've walked with for many, many years starts to look a little different than what we're used to. Can anybody relate to this at all? If, if the teenage you could know the things about Jesus that you know today, they would probably think that you've changed quite a bit, right? You don't think about Jesus the same way you thought of when you were younger, right? It's not that Jesus changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But you have definitely changed in one way or another over time. And how you know Jesus 
uh, changes sometimes too. And sometimes that freaks us out because Jesus doesn't look the way that he did when I was a teenager, when I first came to the faith in him. But it shouldn't freak us out. We should celebrate the fact that Jesus is continuing to reveal himself to us. My relationship with Jesse looks a lot different today than it did when we were 23 years old. It looks a lot different, but it's infinitely better. It's a completely different relationship, honestly, but it's infinitely better. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's what relationships do, right? That's what relationships do. That's how they work. They grow and they look different over time. And our relationship with Jesus is the same way. It grows and it looks different over time. And sometimes it's dramatic enough to where we don't seem to recognize him anymore and we need him to reveal who he really is. Maybe you've learned something new. Maybe you've experienced something joyous or something traumatic. Or you feel like you've become in need and now you're as closer to Jesus as you have been in any time because now you're praying more. It, it doesn't happen all the time and some people may never experience it all, but, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. For, for Cleopas and Simon, they knew Jesus for years. They had a picture of who Jesus was and what he was all about until their world changed. All of a sudden, Jesus is dead. And the last three, three years seems like a waste of time. How dumb do you have to be to follow a heretic criminal all the way to his death on the biggest holiday of the year? How embarrassing to be labeled a follower of that heretic who said he would raise from the dead. And now they have to face real life again because the Jesus they knew suddenly was a criminal. Bye-bye, Jerusalem. It was nice while it lasted. Jesus never changed, but their relationship to him changed. And Jesus wasn't able to be recognized by them anymore. That is, until they broke bread with him. Sit, bless, break, distribute. The same Jesus, newly revealed in the breaking of bread. Christianity is a table religion. I don't think we should get rid of our crosses, but I believe that Christianity is more better represented by a table than anything else. Christianity is a table religion. The best way to practice faith in Jesus Christ is breaking bread around a table. That is how you practice Christianity. Break bread around a table. Why? Because Jesus himself is revealed in breaking of the bread. His presence is, in a mysterious way, present here in this meal. Jesus' presence is in the sitting, the blessing, the breaking, and the distribution of bread to his disciples. He's always the same, and he's also always revealing himself to us in that meal. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, we're going to go to the end of the story of Luke. There's three sentences at the end there. It starts in verse 50. Uh, Luke 24, verse 50. 
And then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. On the surface, this is an odd little story. Jesus is just kind of carried away into heaven. And like I said, Luke elaborates a little bit more in Acts chapter 1. I think it's verse 9. He says that Jesus uh, ascends into the sky until a cloud takes him out of the disciples' sight. Uh, Still weird, but uh, there's a lot going on here theologically, okay? First, if you read any random page of the book of Exodus or most of the first five books of the Bible or even half of the prophets, probably what you're going to learn is that not always, but a lot, God himself is represented by clouds, okay? God doesn't have a form like you and I do, okay? He does now in Christ. But Clouds represent God. So when Luke says that Jesus is going into a cloud, uh, he's saying that Jesus is going up into the presence of God. It's a theological uh, poetry there. He's not saying that he's about to high-five airplane pilots as he goes to the moon. Like he's, he's, he's saying that Jesus is ascending into the presence of God. And his ascension is an exclamation on the gospel. So, Remember, Jesus is fully God, which is really easy to remember in post-resurrection stories, right? When Jesus is vanishing in front of people and he's appearing in front of people. And in one case, he's walking through a wall, uh, really weird things. And he can't even be recognized sometimes. It's easy to remember that Jesus is fully God, but Jesus is also fully a human being. Throughout this whole process, Jesus never loses his humanity. Jesus is a human now and forevermore. His resurrected body isn't a hologram. It isn't an illusion. That's a heresy called docetism, and it was condemned in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, and we hold to that, praise Jesus. But Jesus is a human. Jesus is a human like you and me. And therefore, his ascension into heaven is the prophetic realization of humanity's welcome into heaven's glory. Because Jesus ascends into heaven as a human, you can ascend into heaven as a human. As we are, Jesus comes to earth as a human in the incarnation, his birth, which we'll look at next week. And he returns into heaven as a human in his ascension. But the important theological truth is that the ascension doesn't undo the incarnation. In fact, the ascension solidifies the incarnation and makes it permanent. Jesus is a human forever. He is a human at the right hand of the Father, and you and I now have a representative of flesh, blood, and bones sitting next to God the Father, advocating for you day and night. That is what is going on theologically. Because he is a human in heaven, you can be a human in heaven. And maybe the disciples watching this 
understand what's going on, but I think it's probably more possible that they don't really understand what's going on. The, the theological framework of the ascension doesn't really develop until later on. And so this brings us back to the beginning. Our question, why does the story end with the disciples rejoicing and worshiping after Jesus leaves them a second time? So Luke's story ends with worship and joy because the disciples know something that they didn't know before. Before, when they lost Jesus the first time, on the cross, they felt despair and the heartache of loss. Even our text today said that they felt sad, right? They knew Jesus wasn't going to be around anymore. They lost his presence, and they lost the man that they have known for the last three years. They can't get it back. Jesus is gone forever. That was before. Now, when they seemingly lose Jesus a second time, as he floats up where he can't be seen anymore, can't be heard, can't be listened to, they've learned something. Their friends, Cleopas and Simon, just told them all about it. They told them how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. His body may be up in the sky somewhere, but his presence is revealed to them as they sit, bless, break, and distribute bread around a table together. You may be in a place where Jesus looks completely different to you than he ever has before. Maybe you can't even recognize him anymore. I want to encourage you that not being able to recognize Jesus at times is actually a much better spot to be in than you think. You're about to learn something. You're a piece of bread away from Jesus revealing himself to you. A piece of bread away from your relationship with him growing into something completely different, but also immeasurably better than it was before. His presence is here with us. It's actually right here in this room. Right here in this room. In the simple bread and wine, there he is. And he bids you to come and sit and bless and break and distribute bread with the other disciples around you today. So we're going to pray and then we're going to do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you didn't just ascend into heaven and that was it. We thank you that we know something now. We thank you that it is your will that you ascend to the right hand of the Father to advocate for us forever and ever, but you also didn't leave us high and dry. You left your presence with us. That every time that we should gather together and partake of this meal, you are present with us that you constantly are revealing yourself to us. Sometimes you're not recognizable, but Lord, we continue to seek after you. We continue to long to know you more, maybe even in different ways than we've known you before. You stay the same, but we change. Lord, help us to recognize you again. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, amen.